you have to remember that you're building something for other people, not just yourself. And that's going to free you from a lot of inner pain. So the work that you're doing everywhere from fixing cars to, you know, taking reservations at a hotel, if you approach your job as something that needs to be done in service of other people, that's really what's important. And this is the thing that I struggle with every single day is I get so deep in my own head that I can't remember what it is that's important. And what's important is to remember we all came here and we're all on this planet to do something. And it's your job to find out what that is and then to do it and then to share it. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I am your host, Kamanzi Constable, and today's co-host is my buddy, Jody Mayberry from parkleaders.com. Hey, Jody, how you doing? I'm doing good, Kamanzi. It's good to be here with you. And there is one person missing from Star of the Doubts that you all are very used to hearing. That, of course, is Mr. Jared Easley, the host. We gave Jared a little vacation, so Jody and I are going to kind of run the show today, aren't we, Jody? We are. This is like playing in his house when he's not home. Yeah. Is there anything you want to say, like maybe talk some smack about Jared or while he's not here? I probably shouldn't. He'll hear this. (laughs) Well, we are joined by a very exciting guest. Today, we are joined by Sean Coyne. He is an author and editor. The books that he has worked on have grossed over $150 million in North America. So it's a little bit of money. His longest collaboration is with somebody that I think you would know, Mr. Stephen Pressfield. He's edited a number of Stephen's books, including The War of Art, which is a favorite of mine, Gates of Fire, Turning Pro. He is also a literary agent, manager, and business partner with Stephen Pressfield with a company called Black Irish Books. You can find Sean at storygrid.com. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining Jody and I. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about talking to you guys. Sweet. So, Sean, the question that we ask every Star of the Doubts guest when they come on the show is, what is the best concert you've ever been to? The best music concert? Yes. Well, it would have to be uh, Bruce Springsteen in 1978 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sweet. And I don't think I've ever heard yours, Jody. Jody, what is yours? Oh, that's an interesting question. I'm a big fan of Jason Herod, but he's a friend of mine, and I've been to maybe 20 of his concerts. So I wouldn't pick just one. But also, Harry Connick Jr. at Illinois State University was outstanding. Nice. And so, Sean, we're going to launch into a little true and false here, if you don't mind. So question number one, Sean, is if you don't have a big audience, self-publishing is your best option. True or false? Oh, true. All right. Okay, the next one, working with Seth Godin is interesting. True or false? And then if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit. Oh, absolutely true. The great thing about Seth is that he's sort of like Socrates. So when you start to work with Seth, he'll never really give you a direct answer about anything, but what he does, he'll make you completely think about why it is you're doing what you're doing from the very start. So even if you're working with him on a set project, Steve and I worked with Seth on a book called Do the Work, which he published in the uh, Domino Project. And so when you're working, even when you're working on a set project, Seth will ask you questions like, well, why exactly did you write this book? And it really makes you focus and concentrate on what is really motivating you deep down inside, not necessarily financially, 
but why exactly it is you want to do what you want to do in the first place. So I talk to Seth, you know, whenever I do, and he's actually got a new book out now called What to Do When It's Your Turn. And I read it in one sitting. It's a wonderful book that's really all about, you know, motivating people who have something to give the world to get them to actually sit down and do it. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty cool experience to work with uh, Seth Godin. (laughs) Yeah, it is. He's a great guy. All right. So, uh, Sean, a mistake too many authors make is not getting their book edited. True or false? Yes. True. True. And um, you are an editor, of course. So have you ever read anything and was like, oh. Well, the thing is, Kamanzi, is that I think editing is like one of those really misunderstood skill sets. And one of the reasons why I started StoryGrid.com was to sort of demystify it in a way. You know, when I started in book publishing way back in the 1990s, at the early 1990s, there was no sort of course that you could take that would teach you how to actually edit a book. There isn't one now, believe it or not. And so I think a lot of people get a little bit intimidated by the concept of editing. And one of the things that I think is really important is for writers to actually learn how to edit themselves. So That's what I'm trying to do with the story grid is to give people a set of skills that are outside of the the sort of, you know, writing, what people usually associate with writing being, which is sitting down and having some wonderful epiphany and being able to crank out a great story. That's really doesn't happen all that often and very infrequently. So what do you do the other days? when, you know, the muse isn't sitting by your side. And that's really where the skill set of an editor can help a writer. So if you get stuck, you can take a step back and say to yourself, well, what exactly do I want to accomplish with this particular scene or with this particular story? And to look at it from a very analytical point of view allows you, when you do have to get creative, to, you know, sort of have some bearings and to have a map and a place to go and get to the minute you start to work. So have I read stuff that should be edited? Yeah, sure. You know, even the best books that come out, uh, or not the best, but books that come out from Random House or Penguin or HarperCollins, a lot of those books could have used a, you know, a turn or two through an editor's head. But it's really about putting the onus of editing onto creative people so that they can help themselves, you know, before they actually try and reach a marketplace. Is there a book that you would recommend for maybe the writer that wants to learn even the basics of editing? Is there a book out there? Well, I'm going to publish the Story Grid as a book in early 2015. But the thing is, is that I can't recommend one off the top of my head for the very, very specific skill set that it takes to edit for books or stories in general. But what I will recommend is what I read. You know, the things that I worked through myself to learn the skill set over a period of 25 years. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that there really isn't one comprehensive book that's very, very direct and practical to start, you know, being able to analyze a long form story. So, anyway, back to the book that I would recommend, which would be Story by Robert McKee, which is a classic, you know, for screenwriters who are very concerned about you know, getting the best story down in terms of 
visual storytelling as opposed to narrative storytelling in a novel. But from story, I was able to, you know, take so many concepts and so many wonderful things that McKee has learned over his 50-year career and apply them to novels and narrative nonfiction. We'll have that book definitely in the show notes for the listeners. Great. Well, speaking of books, I'm interested in this true or false question and what you have to say about it. Being a podcaster, podcasters should repurpose their podcast episodes into a book. True or false? True. I think that one of the great things about podcasting is that you get people to react and to speak off the cuff, right? And when you speak off the cuff, what usually happens is the core of your belief comes out, right? So if, I mean, you didn't prepare me for this interview and you're asking me very direct and specific questions, and my initial reactions are kind of interesting because I just have to start talking. And I think one of the difficulties for writers is getting to that moment of honesty and clarity and directness. So podcasting, I think, is a very unique opportunity for people like you guys to you know, bring down a lot of the conversations that you've had and boil them down to their core, and then perhaps you know, build off of themes such that you can do specific books and feature different people you know, and their reactions. So I really do think that by doing transcripts, and a lot of times what I'll do is when I do a podcast interview, is that I'll have the interview transcribed myself and then offer it to the people at storygrid.com. And what they find is that a lot of people love to listen to it and then go back with the transcript and dig through you know, the ums and the ha's and the you know, this stuff that we all do while we're trying to think of something to say <laughs> and to find, you know, the direct core of what that particular person is trying to say. So this is a very long answer to, yeah, I think podcasts would really benefit from creating books out of it. So Jody, when is your book coming out then? <laughs> well, I'll get, I'll get to work on that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> good answer. Sean, the last true and false is, an author needs an agent to get a traditional publishing contract. True, true. The thing about traditional publishing versus self-publishing is the traditional publishers are really, I mean, if you try and look at the world from their point of view, they're owned by multinational corporations. And there are wonderful editors at work today working at Random House and HarperCollins and St. Martin's Press and all those places who are really in it to publish great books. But, you know, the people who are writing the paychecks and the advances, they're business people, right? It's sort of like, you know, nobody expects the Disney Corporation to not worry about the bottom line. And, you know, the companies that own the major publishers now, there are five. There's the Random House Penguin Group, which is a co-venture between a British conglomerate called Pearson PLC and the Bertelsmann Corporation in Germany. So that's one massive publisher. And then there's HarperCollins, which is owned by the News Corporation, which Rupert Murdoch owns and controls. And then there's St. Martin's Press, which is owned by the Holtzbring Corporation. And among St. Martin's Press, there's Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, and innumerable imprints that are all part of that one sort of corporate entity. And then you've got the Hachette Corporation, which owns which is a French company, which owns Little Brown and Grand Central Books. And I think there's one more that I'm, I'm forgetting. 
but I'm sure it'll come to me soon. Oh, Simon and Schuster, and that's owned by you know the American CBS Corporation, which is owned by oh boy, Redstone. <laughs> anyway, all of those people that I've just described—they're really serious business people. So. They need the dollars to flow in much the same way as any company does. And the way big publishers do is to create as many big properties as they possibly can. So over the past 20 years, what you've seen are big swings from the big publishers. And what I mean by that is that they'll attach themselves to a particular project and invest a lot of money in one single project in the hopes that they will create somebody like J.K. Rowling or James Patterson, or somebody, or John Grisham, or Stephen King. So they take smaller and smaller number of projects and try and make them big, big brands. Now, what that's done for people who used to be the bread and butter of publishing, which are sort of what they used to call mid-list writers, is that it's kind of left them in the lurch, right? So the guy who sells five to 6,000 copies of a particular book can be a profitable person. And a publisher could make a nice little profit off of that person, but they're not going to become James Patterson. They have a niche market and they sell well and they can find an audience. But that's not all that interesting to the Bertelsmann Corporation. What they want is John Grisham. So what's happened is that self-publishing has sort of come in with the digital revolution in 2007 with the founding of the Kindle and all the eBooks. And what that has done is allowed people and writers who used to be those mid-list people to find that marketplace and to build their own audiences and to build their own sort of infrastructure using the Amazon.coms of the world, as well as Kobo and iTunes. And what they've found is that they can make a pretty decent living, far better living than they ever would if they were published as a smaller mid-list writer at Little Brown. So you've got really two different kind of, you know, I like to think of it as you've got the big show, you know, you've got the Major League Baseball, and those are the five major publishers. And then you've got AAA and AA and single A and B-ball, where you've got these young talent that's coming along and trying to do better and better with each book, and they're learning as they go. And the one major corporation that is, has sort of helped those people from the start has been Amazon. So the big question now is, Amazon is now sort of starting to move a little bit more aggressively into, you know, taking away some of the financial incentives for these young writers. And so now we're at that sort of place where nobody's really sure where it's going to go in the future. But still, there's two really solid places to publish today. And I should tell you, Sean, I started with self-publishing and I never even thought about going to a publisher. And at the point where my books had sold about 30,000 copies self-published, I had mm-hmm. a few publishers coming to me. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up signing with an amazing publisher called Sound Wisdom Books, which is an offshoot of a Christian publisher called Destiny Imaging. But I can tell you, people said, why did you go self-publish? They've been absolutely amazing to me. Well, it's not only financially exciting. It's also just learning a different sort of world is always a lot of fun for a particular temperament. I'm sort of the kind of person, I think you guys probably are too, given your uh, podcast experience. I'm the kind of person where if something is new and interesting and I could sort of do it myself and try it, 
that's really appealing to me. And that's not appealing to everybody, but it is to a certain kind of temperament. And I love, one of the things I love to do is to direct as much of my own creativity and my own stuff as I can. So I'd rather not, you know, I published a book with uh, a division of Penguin a couple of years ago, and it was a fine experience. You know, I'm not complaining, but, you know, at one point it was a book about the rise of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1970s and the fall of the steel industry. And it was, it was a unique, fun book that was sort of a hybrid sports narrative nonfiction. And I wrote it with a guy named Chad Millman, who is uh, ESPN Magazine's editor-in-chief. Anyway, you know, we really busted our hump on this book, and we worked really hard for it. We delivered it. We got a really nice advance, no complaints. But then when the book came out, Chad and I said to our publisher at the time, we said, hey, look, we have an idea. They wanted to send us on a, a big publicity tour, and they were funding it. And we said, you know, why don't we take some of that budget, and instead we'll create, you know, some really cool postcards about the book, and we can hire this company that will put the postcards on the cars of everybody who goes to the Steelers games across the country. And we thought that was a pretty good marketing idea. You know, instead of me just doing another interview on KDKA in Pittsburgh, we would actually get it directly into sports fans' hands. And immediately they said, no, you know, just no. And we said, well, would you mind if we funded it ourselves? And they said, no, you can't do that because we own the property and we don't want you to do that. And it was at that moment where I said, you know, the advance was great. I like going to Pittsburgh on a corporate dime, but this really isn't that much fun if I can't even affect the success of my own work. So a similar thing happened with me and Stephen Pressfield when Steve was doing his novel, The Profession, at a division of Random House. And so that's when we said to ourselves, hey, let's start our own thing called Black Irish Books. And this way, we can give away whatever we want, can do whatever marketing mistakes we want. We can try things, you know, and if they don't work, we'll learn from them. And if they do, great. And so far, it's, it's kept the wolf from the door financially. We're, we're not killing it. But what is fun is to be able to have an idea and to actually execute it and see what happens. And when you hand over your property, sometimes you're not allowed to do that. Now, with Black Irish, you said you... You get to try things and see if they work. Would you be willing to share something that seemed like a good idea that you tried and it didn't end up working? Let me think. Yeah, I have no problem sharing that. Let me think. The one thing I don't want to do is to denigrate a book because of a bad marketing decision. So I'm trying to figure out a way to, to tell a story without denigrating a book. Because whatever we publish, we absolutely adore the book and we'll do anything for it. And sometimes what happens is when you tell a marketing mistake, it reflects back on the book and people go, oh, the book must have been terrible when it was really a marketing mistake. But one of the things that didn't work so well was we decided to do kind of an online promotion at a number of places and we discounted, you know, an ebook to like 99 cents. And we offered it in a very sort of diffuse way, meaning we didn't, we went to outside, you know, friends of ours who have other major followings and websites, we said to them, hey, could you read this book? They read the book, they loved the book. And we said, hey, we want to do a deal where we're going to give away the ebook for 99 cents, will you guys promote it on your website? So we got a whole battery of really great people to agree to do this. And when we did it, it just, it didn't work. It fell on its face. 
And I think what happened was, I mean, we maybe sold 300 of these ebooks that were highly discounted. What we took away from that was this. If you're going to do some sort of promotion about a particular book, you really need to nail the core market for the book. So you can't just go to, say it's a book about housekeeping, right? I'm just making this up. (laughs) And it's about how to clean your house in the best possible way without using really bad chemicals. So if you offered that book for 99 cents as an ebook at you know a website that was a really good friend of yours who ran it but it was dedicated to football fans you know you're not going to sell a lot of them right because football fans don't really care about how clean their house is or how many chemicals are in their house cuz they just want to watch football <laughs> so one of the things that you have to think of when you're doing marketing is you have to really and this goes to podcasting too i suspect you got to find out who your peeps are you know who really cares about what you care about and then you know, walk it up from there instead of going global and then trying to do as many hits as possible. Find that core market that really cares about, you know, toxic chemicals in cleaning products that you should really avoid in your house. So if you were to go on Google and web search that, you'd probably find a really good, tightly focused market that would be really interested in that book and would be happy to give you a dollar for it. But if you did what we did at Black Irish, which was to go wide, you're just not going to get that kind of reaction because they're just not going to, unless it's a very specific topic, you're kind of flying blind. What can an author do to consistently sell books? Or what are maybe a few things that they can do? Well, I think the most important thing, and this, I'm glad you brought up Seth Godin earlier. You know, Seth wrote a couple of really seminal books about marketing years ago. One was called Permission Marketing and one was called Tribes. And his new book, you know, What to Do When It's Your Turn, is really about this very same thing. And what that is, is if you want to sell books, think about why you want to sell books. Now, for my purposes, I want to sell a lot of books when my book, The Story Grid, is ready to go. And we're going to publish it at Black Irish and it'll be ready in February or March of next year. Okay. I want to sell a lot of books, right? Because that'll be great. But is that really the most important thing to me? Well, not really. What's really important to me is to remember how hard it was for me when I was 22 years old and trying to make it in the book publishing business, and nobody would tell me how to edit a book. There was no resource to go to. I had to kind of make it up as I went and absorb as much as I could from nice editors who would give me the time of day and give me some advice. And so at that point in my career, if there were something that I would be able to have read, like the story grid, that would be really helpful. So what I really want to do with the story grid is to be able to teach people something that took me 25 years to learn in a way that's practical and easy to understand and is generous. That is really, you know, it's kind of like my life's work, right? I've spent a lot of time figuring out what I wanted to do on the planet. I figured it out. I worked hard at it. And now I've got something to share. So when I started thestorygrid.com, I thought to myself, well, I can just tease people with this and hope that they'll end up buying my expensive trade paperback down the road. Or I could actually give them as much of this content in as easy a form as I can for free and see what happens. 
And, you know, maybe nobody will buy the story grid. Maybe everybody will read it online or anybody who would care would read it online. And at the end of the day, I have to be able to say to myself, is that going to be okay for me? And the truth is, yeah, it will be okay because I've worked very hard to get where I am and it's time for me to give something back. So when people say to me, how do I sell more books? I think to myself, what is it that you're supposed to be doing? What is it that you know better than anybody else? What would fascinate people for them to hear you write about? And if you're a fiction author, that doesn't mean that you don't have anything to share because the genres that you're working in say something about you. So the way to sell more books is to create content and give it away for free to people who share the same passions that you do. And you know what? It's going to take time. You're not going to be like, as you were saying, Kamanzi, that, you know, when you first self-published, it took a while to get to 30,000 copies. It didn't happen overnight, right? It uh, took no. a while. No, it took a lot of um, getting exposure. I wrote a lot of guest posts and articles for, it was 50 different websites that I had wrote, written for to get traffic back to my website and see my books. Exactly. That's exactly right. And I suspect that every time you did one of those 50 guest posts, you weren't saying to yourself, ooh, here's one more of the 50 that I need to do to sell 30,000 copies. No, I bet not that's not the case. I bet you were saying, oh, I got this really cool idea. Somebody wants to hear what I think. I'm going to write it up and I'm going to share it. And if somebody likes it, great. Then maybe they'll come back to my website. And if they don't like it, that's okay too. But I'm enjoying the process of discovery and writing. So this is the thing that a lot of people who always say, I want to sell more books. How do I get more traffic? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What's the big secret? The big secret is you got to love what you do and you got to work hard and you can't expect anything in return. See, that's a message a lot of people don't want to hear. It's not (laughs) easy. You know what I mean? But the reality is you share those three things. If you love what you do, if you want to share it and you don't want anything in return, guess what happens? You attract a lot of people who care about what you do, and they're happy, happy. They love to support you financially by buying your book. But you can't go out there and say, buy my book for 99 cents and everything will be great. And I think this goes back to the mistake that we made at Black Irish Books. We were trying to coerce people to buy a book instead of having them discover the book and buy it themselves. Very good point. Well, we want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to start wrapping up here. Sean, who is okay. doing something that interests you right now? Well, I met this guy through Steve Pressfield. Steve, as you know, has a lot of great ties into military and military thinkers. And there's a man at West Point who runs a really incredible program. He's been running it there for 30 years. And what it's called is the Performance Enhancement Center. I might have screwed that up, but He's been running this sort of like a cell of really interesting, deep thinking counselors who work on helping people sort of get over their inner wars. If they have confidence problems, if they're trying to take a test and they're, they choke, this is a place where they go to learn how to, you know, settle down that inner negative voice. And so I've just been, you know, talking to him for a while. And I think what he has built over 30 years could be a really fascinating book because I don't, I've never met anybody who ever was overconfident, you know, when they have to perform. (laughs) 
Well, I have learned a tremendous amount today, Sean. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online if they want to find out more? Well, they can go to directly to www.dorygrid.com, just one straight thing, or seancoin.com, which is S-H-A-W-N-C-O-Y-N-E, and it'll take you to the same place. But thank you so much for having me. I just, you know, As you can tell, I, I love to talk about this stuff, and I really appreciate your interest. And I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. And uh, for the listeners, we will have all this information, of course, in the show notes at starvedadoubts.com. But Sean, what is um, one final thought that you'd leave with the listeners? The one thought I would leave is that it's not going to be every day when you work really hard and it seems like nothing's ever coming from it. You have to remember that you're building something for other people, not just yourself. And that's going to free you from a lot of inner pain. So the work that you're doing everywhere from fixing cars to you know, taking reservations at a hotel. If you approach your job as something that needs to be done in service of other people, that's really what's important. And this is the thing that I struggle with every single day is I'm, I get so deep in my own head that I can't remember what it is that's important. And what's important is to remember, we all came here and we're all on this planet to do something. And it's your job to find out what that is and then to do it and then to share it. So that's my final thought. Wow. Thank you so much, Sean, for joining us. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Jody, for helping me be Kamanzi and Jared on this episode. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we'll see all the listeners again in the next episode of Starve the Doubts. If you want to sell books, think about why you want to sell books. Now, for my purposes, I want to sell a lot of books when my book, The Story Grid, is ready to go. And we're going to publish it at Black Irish, and it'll be ready in February or March of next year. I want to sell a lot of books, right? Because that'll be great. But is that really the most important thing to me? Well, not really. What's really important to me is to remember how hard it was for me when I was 22 years old and trying to make it in the book publishing business, and nobody would tell me how to edit a book. There was no resource to go to. I had to kind of make it up as I went and absorb as much as I could from nice editors who would give me the time of day and give me some advice. And so at that point in my career, if there were something that I would be able to have read like the story grid, that would be really helpful. So what I really want to do with the story grid is to be able to teach people something that took me 25 years to learn in a way that's practical and easy to understand and is generous. 